turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. And other factors. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. Come to worship as a family and come having worshiped as a family. You're not born a Christian. That doesn't come through your parents. That comes through the Holy Spirit. So while Christian faith is not inherited from your family lineage, it can be nevertheless instilled from your family life. As followers of Jesus, worship is a regular part of our relationship with God. On Sundays, we gather together with others to glorify our Heavenly Father. And throughout the week, we look for practical ways to honor God with our words and our actions. But how often do we think about the attitude with which we approach a holy God? Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy outlines important reminders about acceptable worship. Our study is taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It's a message Philip's titled, Watch Your Step. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 as we are gathering our thoughts around the theme, Watch Your Step. We want to more properly, more passionately worship God, and I believe this is a passage that will help us to achieve those ends. You can't give yourself to something more important than that which will outlast your life. Worship is that thing. We were created for His pleasure. Revelation 4 verse 11. And in Romans 11 verse 36, we read that everything was created by God for God. In fact, this very book, Ecclesiastes, will finish in chapter 12 and verse 13 with these words. This is the conclusion of the matter. This is the big takeaway. Fear God for in this man finds his wholeness. This is the very reason you were born. Life under the sun must be connected to life above the sun. That's where true life and joy and purpose and satisfaction is found. Now, all that said by way of introduction, that brings us back here to Ecclesiastes 5 and why we've put the brakes on, and we're going to dig deep into these seven verses because Solomon addresses the issue of worship. And there's nothing more important and he sees things that are missing in the life of the nation of Israel with regards to its worship of God. Their worship of God is hurried and ill thought out. Their worship of God is lacking a captivating vision of God. Their worship of God is divorced from life. They were an angel on a Sunday, a devil on a Monday. And that's unacceptable. God is thrice holy. And according to Psalm 23, verses 3 to 6, if you and I are to ascend the hell of the Lord, we've got to do it with clean hands and a pure heart. We've got to get washed before we go to the service. 
Not just wash our hands and our face, but wash our souls in the washing of the water by the word, of coming again to the cross and and asking God to um, cover our sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We cannot worship God aright while at the same time loving that which he hates or doing that which he forbids. Our worship of God cannot rise to him as sweet-smelling incense while we seek to hide a smoldering disobedience. Is confession part of your regimen, preparation for worship? That you confess all known sin, that you keep short accounts with God so that you can climb the hill with clean hands and a pure heart. You've got to bring all your thoughts and sent to them on the Lord Jesus Christ. Corinthians tells us to bring it all into captivity to him. We, we need to get onto God's wavelength. We need to be spending time with him every day so that we, when we come to his house with his people, the engine's already running. The conversation's ongoing so we don't stutter in our worship of God or feel distant from him. Think of God... Okay, we just encourage you to do that. Bring your thought life into captivity to Christ. Think of God, but don't forget the devil. This is something we often overlook when it comes to worship. Nothing bothers the devil more than watching God's people worship God. And he's waiting for those opportunities to spoil them through hypocrisy, bitterness, unforgiveness, worldliness, casual Christianity. This pretentious, evil being hates it when he hears the name of God exalted. He's trying to spoil your worship experience. He'll do anything, either through disobedience or through distraction, to draw you away from fully worshiping God. In fact, Jesus tells us that, doesn't he? In Matthew 13, verse 4, and Matthew 13, verse 19, the parable of the sower and the seed, a picture of the Word of God being distributed, and there's a picture of the seed falling on the ground and the birds coming down, eating the seed and snatching it away. And Jesus makes the application. That's what the devil does. He likes to take the Word of God and nullify it. See, this is good for you, but be sure something or someone who may be used of Satan will try and rob you of what you enjoyed today, what you took from this service. In fact, I've seen it happen in services. A couple of years ago, I was at the Shepherds Conference, and I said under the ministry of Steve Lawson, he preached from Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9, of Paul's astonishment that the Galatians were so soon removed from the gospel. Apostasy had got a foot in the door at the church at Galatia. In fact, he uses the word there, he marvels. It's the same word used in the Gospels for the astonishment people showed in watching a miracle take place. Paul was astonished that they were moving away from the simplicity and sufficiency of the Gospel through faith in Jesus Christ. I believe Steve Lawson was anointed of the Holy Ghost that day. Probably one of the best messages I've ever heard. There was a holy hush on the service. I'm telling you, if he had have got every minister on their knees that day, we'd have signed up to storm the gates of hell right after the service. As soon as the sermon was done and a short word of prayer was made, 
Somebody followed that from announcement of who won John MacArthur's commentaries in a raffle. The whole tone of the meeting changed. A friend of mine from Ireland, Pastor Freddie McLaughlin, who had mentored me, he turned over to me and he said, the birds stole it. I'm going, the birds stole it? What is he talking about? And then I got it. It was Matthew 13. He said, the birds stole it. He said, that was a moment we met with God. And we got distracted. We went from the holy to something so inconsequential as a set of books. Satan's always at work inside and outside the service. Distracting us, drawing us away from things holy. Here's another thought. Come to worship as a family. Having worshiped as a family. Boy, does this need to be emphasized in the evangelical church of today. And let me remind you of what we're doing here. Walk prudently when you come to the house of God. How do we make our worship meaningful? How do we get something out of the service? More importantly, how do we make sure that in seeking to worship God, we don't anger Him? In seeking to honor Him, we don't dishonor Him? Well, we've gone through our pre-worship flight list. Walk with God during the week. Keep your heart throughout the week. Treasure the Lord's day. Prepare for Sunday morning, Saturday night. Turn your back on sin as you turn your face towards God. Bring your thought life into captivity to Christ through prayer and the reading of Scripture. And then think of God and don't forget the devil. And finally, come to worship as a family, having worshiped as a family. Biblically speaking, the family unit is the basic building block of society. There was a family before there was a nation. There was a family before there was a church. Is it any wonder that William Perkins, the Puritan, said, quote, marriage was made by God himself to be the fountain of all other sorts and kinds of life in the commonwealth and in the church. The family is the primary nursery of all physical, social, and spiritual welfare. Agree with that? Listen, and mothers who are homemakers This is an encouragement. The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. What an influence a godly mother can have on her children. What an influence a faithful father can have on his family. That's why the establishment of a family altar is so important. Go back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. When I talk about a family altar, I'm talking about those times that the family gets together to worship, led by dad, where the family's called to prayer. It can be a meal around the table where the thanksgiving is offered, but maybe a little more than thanksgiving is offered. A thought is shared or a verse of the Bible is read. There'll be those formal times throughout the week when the family sits down and the word of God is read and the family's needs are prayed for. And the children's challenges at school are prayed for where they see that their faith is to touch every corner of their lives because that's the way it is in the home. Listen to Deuteronomy 6. Now, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life. Remember what I said on a number of occasions? You, your son, and your grandson. 
And Deuteronomy anticipates that every father is the anchor man for a couple of generations, sets the direction, the trajectory for the family. This is awesome stuff. Therefore, hear, O Israel, verse 3, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, in the mall, at the beach, at the baseball field. God becomes part of the conversation. Every incident becomes a time to teach theology. Blessed are the children that have a father and a mother seeking to fulfill this. Verse 8, and you shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be in the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And, and then the, the New Testament counterpart, you know, Ephesians 6 verse 4. Bring your children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Come to worship as a family and come having worshiped as a family. That's what it means to walk prudently. When a little boy was asked why he believed in God, he paused and he said, I guess it runs in the family. Now that's true, although it needs a qualification. Because according to John 1, verse 12 through 13, we're not born of blood or the will of man, okay? You're not born a Christian. No baptism will do that either. You're not born or baptized a Christian as a child. That's something that comes later when you repent of your sin and exercise faith in Jesus Christ and you're born twice. Born naturally, now born again. Born in you, born supernaturally. There's this new birth. That doesn't come through your parents. That comes through the Holy Spirit. That doesn't come through the water of baptism. That comes through the regeneration of God, the Holy Spirit. So while Christian faith is not inherited from your family lineage, it can be nevertheless instilled from your family life. According to Deuteronomy 6, according to Ephesians 4, and probably a classic example of 2 Timothy 1, verses 3 through 5, where Paul says of Timothy, my son in the faith, I see in you what I see in your mother and your grandmother, Lois and Eunice. Timothy had been brought up at the knee of a godly mother with no sense that his father was a believer. While Christianity is not inherited through family lineage, it can be instilled through family life. While God has no grandchildren, He does work through godly parents who are commanded to bring up their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Listen, you can't outsource the raising of your children. And I want to say this as we come towards a close, one of the ways that Christ builds his church is on the construction side of the home. Read the book of Acts and you'll, you'll find this word mentioned many times, household. First Timothy 3, 4, 5, if a man can't take care of his home, how's he going to take care of the church? That's where Christianity begins, at the crib, at the cradle, at the dining room table, in the living room of the home. At the picnic in the woods, to walk along the beach, 
where the children see that God is real in mom and dad's life. And there's this family altar that alters the family. Let me finish with uh, this story. Richard Baxter was a great man of God. He was a minister in England. He took a very wealthy and sophisticated parish. And for three years, he preached his heart out as a dying man to dying men. But there was no visible response. Dead as a dodo was the congregation. Finally, one day, he threw himself across the floor of his study, and he cried out to God, Oh, God, you must do something with these people or I'll die. And he said, and he was no mystic, by the way, or closet charismatic. So when you hear this, put that into your thinking. It was as if God spoke audibly, Baxter said. And here's what he heard from God. Here's what was impressed upon his heart by the Holy Spirit. You're working in the wrong place. You're expecting revival to come through the church. Try the home. That's what Baxter heard. Try the home. And if you've read anything of Richard Baxter's life or his book, The Reformed Pastor, and the word reformed there has nothing to do with Calvinism and Reformed theology. It's about how does a pastor stay alive and make his congregation alive? Try the home. And so he set out visiting the homes of his congregation, and he would ask the fathers of the home how often the family had had devotions because he realized it begins there. I was listening to Christian radio just a week ago. I think it was Sean McDowell, the son of, of Josh McDowell. He's engaged with the young people's culture. And he was addressing the issue of how many young people fall at the hurdle of university. We seem to lose them. And they begin into the whole discussion about the church and youth programs and children's ministry. And while they talked about that for a while, Sean McDowell said something that was dead on. I said, amen in my car. He said, you know what? It's not the fault of the youth pastor. It's not the fault of the children's ministry. It's the fault of the father. That's where the failure is because there's no family altar. There's no Christianity being put on display 24-7. We can't outsource the raising of our children. And you know what? If we're going to come as a family to worship, we must come having worshiped as a family. God's pleased by that. The next generation is impacted by that. And the church grows and grows and grows because of that. By the way, we're really emphasizing, aren't we, the, the reverence that we should feel for God? We have uh, reminded ourselves here that God is a consuming fire. And, and that's, that may make you feel disturbed or uncomfortable because, you see, you, you have created God in your own image. Maybe you worship the mush God of contemporary culture, the God that's been defined, the God who's got no teeth, but the Bible says he is a consuming fire and he's not to be played with. In fact, someday he will visit this world with a tsunami of his judgment. There's coming a day when those outside of Christ will be looking for the rock to hide under. According to Revelation 6. My friend, there is a tsunami coming. God is a consuming fire. It is a fearful, fearful thing to fall into his hands apart from the covering of Jesus Christ. Prepare yourself for that day. Run from the mush God of contemporary culture. 
Look into the mirror of God's word and see a glorious being whose eyes cannot look on iniquity. Then see yourself in all your sinfulness and realize there's a great gulf between him and you. And it can only be bridged by one who himself was holy but took our sin upon the cross. June and I were up in Cannon Beach a few years ago. In fact, it was early on in our ministry at Placerita. And uh, we got into our room. I was to speak at a pastor's conference there, closed the door, and was astounded by this warning on the back of the door, tsunami warning. To be honest, you know, fresh off the boat from Ireland, I didn't even know what a tsunami was. I want a tsunami, and I started reading it. About this earthquake, out on the ocean bed, and it creates this wave that just comes in at, at, a, at the speed of a locomotive and, and takes everything in its path. And I said, Jim, have a look at this. And it said, hey, listen for the siren. And if you hear the siren, here's what it said, get to the high ground. Get to the high ground. That's my word to you, my friend. When the tsunami of God's judgment comes, you better be on the high ground. It's called a hill called Calvary, where the Lord Jesus Christ paid for your sin. Lord, we pray we'll carry away the nectar and the fragrance of worshiping a thrice holy God through the mediation of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us afresh to to take stock of, of what we think of you and how we approach you. Help us to walk prudently. Help us to walk cautiously. Lord, help us not to come ram stam into your presence, bringing our thoughts into captivity to Christ through our daily reading and praying. May we treasure the thought of the Lord's day and its approach. May we begin on the weekend to get ready for Sunday and the gathering of the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to uh, turn our face towards you and our back towards sin. Help us, Lord, to think about you and never forget the one who seeks to spoil our worship. Lord, if there are those here who don't know you, help them to know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They must fear you. They must understand your holiness, your just wrath against sin, but then take to the high ground of a hill called Calvary and see that you poured out your judgment upon one who was sinless so that we might never come into condemnation. Oh, we thank you for the gospel. Lord, help us to share it this week. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A powerful study on worship from the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. This is Know the Truth, and you're listening to a message from Philip DeCourcy titled, Watch Your Step. There's still a lot we need to hear on this topic, and we'll continue our study in Ecclesiastes. But remember that if you ever miss a message, you can hear every broadcast online at ktt.org. Today's study is part of a series titled Quest for the Best. At Know the Truth, we're always looking to provide you with resources to strengthen your daily walk of faith. And this month, in preparation for Easter, we're offering a book titled The Resurrection and You by Josh and Sean McDowell. These two gifted apologists answer the most common questions about the resurrection, bolstering your faith with the facts. Read this pocket-sized edition, and you'll also be prepared to share the facts with your friends. Don't miss getting your copy of The Resurrection and You when you give a generous gift of $20 or more. You can donate online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. 
And you can also send your gift by mail. Just write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. Thank you for your generosity that fuels the ministry of Know the Truth. Your gifts make all the difference as together we share the truth that sets men and women free. And if you're new to Know the Truth, Philip would like to welcome you with a copy of his upcoming Good Friday message. You can get an advanced CD copy when you reach out today and let us know you're listening. Ask for the free CD message called Access Granted when you call 888-644-8811 or request the CD at ktt.org. It's a great message to pass along to a friend. There's more teaching from Ecclesiastes coming up next time. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Meet you back here Thursday when Philip delivers another message on worship right here on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. Kirby's Extra Epic Yarn, which was just released for the Nintendo 3DS, transforms everybody's favorite pink puffball hero into something much closer to a ball of yarn. Yin Yarn, the sorcerer, slips into Kirby's home of dreamland and sends the hero into a fabric and button dimension that's falling to pieces. With new yarn-based copy abilities, Kirby must figure out how to sew this fabric world back together and get back to dreamland to unravel the bad guy's plans. Lots of battling and bopping of baddies, but nothing inappropriate in this classic-feeling platforming adventure. Just a whole lot of cute and fuzzy fun. Check out the full review at PluggedIn.com slash radio. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Bob Olaszewski for Focus on the Families Plugged In. Selfless service is the guy.